Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Before I bring in today's guest, I just want to make a quick note for all of you listeners because a lot of people ask me, Alex, how did you get into podcasting about college tennis? Well, I can draw a direct through line from today's guest embracing me as a college freshman to what I do today. Of course, it is the most mispronounced name in all of college tennis, head coach of the University of Nebraska men's tennis team, Sean Mimey, joining me on the show today. Coach, welcome to the Cracked Interviews podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here and excited, uh, excited for the time. Do you think it's a burden or a blessing? Am I giving you too much credit or am I actually placing a lot of blame on you for this? Oh, I think I'm going to get more blame than credit, <laughs> but, um, that's all right. Either way, there's some publicity going on, so we'll, we'll take it. Yeah, no, I, again, I'm immensely grateful because as, you know, 17-year-old me walking on Ann Arbor's campus, I like tennis a lot. I didn't know much else about myself, and of course, I was forever grateful for you and Steiny embracing me as a fan, and that, again, gets me to what I am doing now, uh, my fondness for college tennis. I've loved it since I was a high schooler, and to be able to work in it is a dream come true for me. You are also someone who has dedicated much, if not all, of your life to college tennis. There was a brief blip, you know, in the private coaching realm, but of course you immediately came back into the college coaching world. What is it about the sport, the atmosphere, that is so appealing to you? Well, gosh, it's, yeah, it's a, there's a lot that, that comes with being um, a college coach and, and being on a college campus and around um, people at a point in their life where they're starting to discover who they are as a person and they're away from their parents and they're starting to, to really create some thoughts and, and different things for themselves. And it's fun to be a part of that. It's fun to help them grow, help them on that journey. Um, the vehicle obviously that we use is tennis and, and I enjoy the game a ton. I watch it and, and study it. And so um, I feel pretty blessed to be able to be on a tennis court um, most of the day. Um, I would say as a head coach, sometimes you get pulled in different directions, but um, I think it's just being involved in their development as a person and, and as a player. And I'm sure a lot of coaches are going to say that, and that's, that's kind of the rewarding part. Um, but I'm also extremely competitive and I like to get out and compete. And whether that be in a baseline game or it's in a dual match, like, so this creates a, an avenue where I can do that a lot. And um so I enjoy that part, and so we keep doing it as long as they, they allow me. 
I feel like you've also found the elixir, the only college coach who looks younger 21 years later. It's incredible. <laughs> That's It's kind you say that. I don't know that um, <laughs> I feel that way. Although, I mean, I, I give a lot of time to, to – I was telling someone, they asked me, they said, man, you know, you still look the same, kind of like what you said. And I said, well, a lot of times what I do is after like a, a tough match or a tough loss, like I'll go for a run because mm-hmm. I think it just helps me sort of get my thoughts straight and kind of gets me centered. It's sort of a form of, of meditation, active meditation. So um, working out or running or doing something like that, I think just helps my mind too. So I realize the importance. And so I try to do it as much as I can. Well, with that in mind, I'm going a bit out of order here from some of my other interviews, but I know you love to compete and I'm going to throw some funky ideas at you throughout the course of this podcast. One of them is that I think the coin toss is a missed opportunity. I just think we can do better in college tennis. So in lieu of the coin toss, we're throwing that out. One point start of the match head coach versus head coach you get all the Lincoln crowd behind you Sean 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 <laughs> winning coach decides the serving arrangement on every court yes or no I mean I think as I don't think the fans would really care that much but I think us coaches <laughs> would, would get into it and, and have a good time with it but I think at some point they're going to get tired of watching old men like hack the ball around there and, and whatnot but um I would take it as another opportunity to try to get a victory. So why not? <laughs> I it. love it. I feel like it builds, you know, again, some accountability between coach and player. You lose three in a row. You're telling me catch Tori's not going to sit you down and go coach. <laughs> get that for, yeah. you know, if you're going to yeah. chip and charge off of every feed, at least make the first volley. Right. Exactly. You got <laughs> yeah, it. You got it. <laughs> I'm in favor. I just, again, for the entertainment value, if nothing yes. else. But of yeah. course, uh, that brings us to where you are at. And I believe now what year four? At, at the this university. Is, yeah, start of the year four. Yep. Start of year four for you. And look, obviously, if I'd have told you, hey, second year, you're going to get cut off by a pandemic. Third year, you're going to have to deal with the byproduct of that pandemic. You would have said, huh, what am I signing up for? But of course, now, uh, you know, again, with hindsight being 2020 and you've had a full fall to, you know, be back on courts with your guys. How are you feeling about where you're at entering year four? Yeah, I think... I feel in a much better spot than year two and year three. Well, actually since year, even year one, um, just cause it was, it was all new and trying to get used to the guys and such. So I do feel like um, I'm in a better spot um, in that regard. And I think the team is, we got to get a whole fall behind us, which has been extremely valuable when you're trying to develop a, a team and grow a team and, and teach them, you know, ways to compete and, and try to help with a, with a culture and change that so all those things are bonuses um yeah the fall is always mixed though even no matter where i've been it's just such a mixed bag because you've got you may take four guys to a tournament and and two guys do well and two guys maybe not as well as you like and so you're always kind of focused in on on how we can continue to develop or grow so i it's always a mix a mixed bag and and you're not sure how they're going to handle a dual match which is a whole nother animal um in in college so um, but I'm, I'm really glad that we got to play and and looking forward to the, the dual match season when we can play uh, non-conference opponents as well. Because I think that's going to help and aid in our development. 
And looking at some of the stats from last season for your team, you played 11 different doubles teams. And, you know, actually, that's not as many as you might think. That's a little, that's not like, you know, it's Q3 if this is stats. You're probably above the 50% mark, but not too far. Um, that said, how much of that is a byproduct of A, you searching for continuity and teams that work, and B, just the fact that you didn't have a fall last offseason to find any sort of rhythm in doubles? Yeah, I think it's a little, I think it's like you said, it's got to be a little bit of both. And, and we had, you know, um, different scenarios come up with injuries and sickness and, and things that we had to deal with. So we would, we would mix up teams and, and throw teams in and, and around. And um, so it wasn't, it wasn't ideal, but I always tell the guys this, and this is something that, you know, we've, Steinies even said, like, we've never put out a team, you know, day one in match one it's the same as the last match because it, it always adjusts there's always things that change and so um you know it's inevitable um and and i think even now that we're a lot deeper which i think our team is um it may lead to more of those changes um more of those in doubles um but i think as long as they have the fundamentals and some of the things that we're trying to preach it shouldn't be as big of a deal um you know they've all played doubles with different players before they should be able to figure that that part out. Did you feel like the team, and I think this would apply to all Big Ten teams or just teams limited in the fall, were you guys a step behind in January? Like, how difficult was it to overcome the gap of just not having those months to work with the guys last fall? Yeah, I mean, yes, but we also competed against the other teams, the, the sure. other teams in the Big Ten that, that were behind the eight ball as well, so to speak. And so for us, you know, that to me, I told the guys isn't, isn't something we can lean on and say, you know, sure. this is a reason why. Um, we put it a lot on on the players because at that point there were a lot of Big Ten players that were still getting matches. They just weren't getting them through college competitions. Um, and so kudos to them and, and their coaching staff of being able to motivate them to get those done. But we unfortunately didn't. And so I think that's why we started behind, you know, mm -hmm. not because because we played, I think their first match was against a Purdue, a Purdue team that was in the same boat. Mm -hmm. And then we played, you know, an Indiana team that was in the same boat. And we had an opportunity in both of those if we just didn't take advantage of them. And, and that's, that's what ends up happening. No seniors on the roster last year could not have been easy, particularly, again, given all yeah. of the restrictions and everything. That said... How valuable is that experience your team play, you know, gained last year? Again, pretty much everyone got to play, whether it was due to injuries or due to whatever it may be. Even if it's not the best experience, how do you lean on that experience as you focus to 2022? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough scenario because you're, like, you're excited for the experience, but you also know the experience was, for the most part, um, with an L at the end. Mm -hmm. And so, but I would say we finished the year on a better note so I think they left the year knowing how important um, the offseason was going to be, knowing how important every practice and every rep was. And so I think that helped them, I think, in the end. Um, we have a strong group of guys, I think, mentally that will, will really, I think, learn from those experiences. And that's all we can do is ask them to, to learn from each of those experiences. I try to create an environment, too, where you know, after each match, you know, we're trying to get better no matter what. So even if we win, we will look at it and say, okay, what did I do well? What did I not do so well? Um, and we did the same when we lost. And I think the guys hopefully will, will take that into a lot of different things that they do in their life, but hopefully they'll take it into this season. And I try to tell the guys, we've got to be out 
you know, hunting this year. We've got to be out. That's one thing that the guys and our assistant coach have kind of created a thing where we got to go out and get after these, get after these teams because, um, but with that experience from last year, it should make them hungrier, or at least that's the thought, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, looking at the records and, you know, they don't tell the entire story, but you know, six and nine at three, six and nine at four, five and eight and five. That doesn't read great, but that's also not you know dry. That's not you're not like you're not panicking over that. That's in the mix as well. And you look across the board. I know that's not the standard you you hold yourself to, but again, depth is the name of the game in college tennis. It's great to have that top guy to have the Steve Johnson or the Evan King in yep. our case, but yep. you know that's yep. that's obviously only the case for the top point one percent of schools. What did you see in the depth of from your guys? And again, just the fight. Do you see that fight up and down the roster that you need? Yeah, I mean, well, we're we're getting there. I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things that it takes a while. You know, when you come mm-hmm. in and you start bringing in different guys, and in, in, you know, um, especially in the Big Ten, so mm-hmm. good at the top on some of them that that it's just really difficult to get a win there. And when you're when you're outmatched in each little spot, it it kind of hurts. So now that we have a lot more depth, and I think that even down you know the sevens the eights and the nines those are going to be able to be really valuable because each year i've always had a couple guys injured or something sick where we've got to slide those guys in so the depth makes a big difference and i think we're getting there um and now we'll see how it how it does when we've got this full season in front of us and you mentioned the momentum you guys built at the end four two over penn state in the big 10 tournament how what did that do for the guys how are they feeling you know again that's got to be a big moment for sure no and we played at home so it was great to be at yeah. home and and um we had some guys really step up and do an amazing job and and won the doubles point played a pretty spirited doubles point and i give credit to our guys there could have been easily at some point during that season they said gosh this is just too much i mean you're asking a lot from us every single day and and now we're we're going to play a michigan team who is really good or now we have to play an ohio state team that's really good and so um, I do give them a lot of credit to keep kind of plugging and then get to the Big Ten tournament and, and have a win over a good Penn State team. And then, you know, go into the next match and, and beat, beat uh, Northwestern in doubles mm-hmm. and actually had a couple opportunities there to even – and then we won another match in singles. So we were we lost 4-2, but in a third set and another one and lost the third set in that final one. So, you know, I think the guys left there with a better feeling of where we're going. Um, didn't lose any of those guys added – um, a lot of depth to that um, to that next group, five other guys. So we're we're kind of feel like we're getting there. Um, it's just been it takes longer than than you think. That's for sure. No, and I'm curious. Catchatory seven six in the third, eleven nine in the breaker to clinch in that Penn State match. Are you sweating through your clothes? Like again, I I find it so much harder to watch matches that you have a vested interest in than it is to actually play them because when you're playing them, you're not thinking about it all you mentioned it at home again that's got to be the special part as well for him to get that win at home talk me through that match talk me through that third set breaker yeah I wasn't down there for most of it so Mm -hmm. wasn't really I didn't know the whole flow of the match and and how he was he was controlling and winning the points or how he was losing the points um all I knew is that we had you know finished up on on my side so to speak and just was walking down and, and noticed we were actually I thought in a good position on the court next to him and and then actually let that one slip mm-hmm. so it started to look like gosh you know what the way they were going to get this match is <laughs> is through through Cacciatore and um man he toughened up and and I think it was a nervous match it was a pretty nervous match from both guys um mm-hmm. meaning they weren't really taking advantage of some of the opportunities but mm-hmm. he stuck it out and and managed to get 
you know, in the end, I, if I remember right, I think he got a double fault on match point and, <laughs> and that was the way we were going to take it. And, and that was fine. Fine by me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. The win is the win. And now again, for your guys and looking at the roster, you talk about it. A lot of them are back this season, and it's year four for you, and of course it's funky because recruiting hasn't been exactly openly available for coaches the way it normally is over these past 18 months, but you know, a lot of these guys are guys you recruited and brought into mm-hmm. the program, and yep. you know, again, I'm, I'm curious, this fall, what's the attitude, what's the atmosphere been around campus, and what have you seen from the guys? Yeah, it's been a it's been an exciting time because I think that the new guys are starting to um, they bring a, a freshness to the team. As, mm-hmm. as soon as they show up, they're super excited. They're they're ready to to show what they've got and do the best that they can. So I love that part of bringing in new guys. That's why I think the four year cycle is great. I think we've added a, another year onto that for for some guys. So the fifth year cycle. Um, but I think that those new guys with their freshness and their excitement and our other guys coming back with, with hopefully that hunger um, to really prove that, that we can turn this thing around is, has been kind of a, a neat and interesting mix. Still trying to figure out where everyone's falling. Um, we've told them and we think that this time period from now until for us, January 15th is gonna be massive, um, massive for our development. Um, mainly because now they go and they do that a lot on their own. We're going to have a few guys sticking around, but I mean, for the most part, they're going home and they got to develop and, and keep pushing the, you know, that part of it on their own. I've heard from a bunch of SEC coaches that they uh, really enjoyed the opportunity to play hidden duels last fall. And of course, for those that don't know, the hidden duels, you get to play the dual match format, even though it doesn't count as a duel. And again, what are we hiding? I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I do know it's, it's the competition date, um, but I'm curious because, again, and for a team like you guys where you don't know the lineup, and it's it's really you kind of want to see your guys go play Cannon Kingsley, go play Mate Votel. I just want to see how each and all of you match up with everyone. That's mm-hmm. something the individual aspect of the fall provides. That said, you know, you can't replicate the dual match without playing a dual match. And I'm curious, do you think we'll see more team things incorporated in the fall moving forward? Where are you in terms of what the fall should be as preparation for the spring? Yeah, uh, I love the dual match scenario, the hidden dual match in in this case in the fall. It does. I love it when we can get all the guys on a trip together because that's where I think um, you you create that that camaraderie and they start to get to know each other. You can sit down and and have a coffee with one of them or have lunch with with those guys and talk or even just the van ride. It's kind of like a fun, fun experience. So I think nothing brings a team better together than than a road trip. Um, so, so being able to do those types of things, that in a hard conditioning run, but you know, I, think they, I think they would prefer the road trip. Yeah. Um, no, but I don't know what the fall is going to be like. I mean, there's been some discussion, as you know, about mm-hmm. shifting the NCAA, the NCAA individual yeah. into the into the fall, um, and that to me would probably take a lot of those hidden duels away. So that kind of I don't love how that looks. Um, I couldn't tell you how it was going to how it plays out and, and how they do that, but. Um, I wish the whole fall was hidden duels. I mean, I think that we could create a pretty cool um, where you go and you've got three different teams and well, four total, but but three other teams where you can just compete against over three days. And and I think you leave there knowing a little bit of where the guys are at, you know. Um, so, but every coach does it different, and every year I've done it different. You know, some years I've taken guys all over the place. Some years I've tried to keep them together. It's just. It's just every year I look at it and see what's best for this group. 
Mm -hmm. And I want to get back to that individuals in the spring versus the fall format. But uh, no, it's fascinating because, again, it it gets to what is the purpose of the fall? And and just, you know, again, for the development, if you're trying to develop all of your players and if there are players with pro aspirations, my question to you would be, is 25 competition days enough? Or, you know, again, you're playing more than 25 days of tennis if you're trying to be a professional tennis player. And while that's not the aspiration for everyone, obviously we would like college tennis to be a mechanism for those who have pro. Dreams and so is twenty five enough? No, 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 not at all, not at all. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. I mean, I couldn't. I don't know too many coaches that are that are big into development that think think that it is. I mean, unless you're using that block for a training block, and, and okay, you, sure. you know, you've identified that player A needs to work on his fitness and and his and his forehand or his you know his volleys. So yeah, maybe he doesn't have to play as much. But if you're strictly talking about competition, no, not at all, not mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, and it's interesting because about that competition, again, individuals in the fall, you do have those bigger aspirations. You can challenge yourself against the best. At the same time, you know, if is there any concern for you if you play more hidden duels in the fall that you start typecasting kids? It's like, well, I'm always playing five through eight in these hidden duels, so I think that's what coach thinks of me. Or is that just something, realistically, they're going to be thinking about no matter what? Well, yeah, it might be hard to get that out of their mind. I mean, anytime you put you know, mm-hmm. put a number next to someone's name, they, they automatically either, you know, like it or don't like it or, or whatever. So yeah, I think you're not, you're going to experience that no matter what. I mean, I think in our conference and the teams that we end up playing, everyone's good. Like mm-hmm. everyone you play is good. Like there's not too many times where you're going up against the guy and it's just going to be a O and O and there's no competition there. So um, if you don't like the number that you're at, you still have a great match in front of you to where you better be ready to compete. Um, and so we try to get those, especially in the Big Ten, too. It's so deep. I think every guy can play, and it, it makes it challenging if you're if you're worried about what number you're playing. You yeah, know? no, so, for sure. Yeah. It, it's interesting for all of these players. And, you know, again, it, this gets to individuals in the spring versus the fall. <laughs> I wouldn't hate the idea of all individuals being in the fall. And obviously my dream scenario I may have told you this before is you play the individual second week of the u.s open and to qualify for that event you had to have played the spring prior and you know again Mm. i i think you keep so my schedule is ideally you know u.s open is the conclusion of the previous season that's where you play the ncaa tournament after that in the fall you have your normal all americans for the freshmen you have your normal regionals your you know fall nationals then you get to the dual match season and then again, it's just if it shouldn't be the USTA's burden, but college tennis is based here, and even if it's an international sport, college tennis, USTA, they're hand in hand. Like if you want people to embrace it, throw the NCAA tournament in the second week of, the, of New York. Like to me, that's the way. It, otherwise, what's the point of the individual season? Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, it's a cool. I mean, I like the concept. I like ideas. I like the, <laughs> the ideas, and in, in for sure. Um, I think the best part about that would be it would be in a situation where you're getting a lot more viewership. So mm-hmm. you're putting it on a huge stage. I mean, what a special event that would be because people, you know, you get to go to New York, you get to walk around the same locker room that that uh, Medvedev and Djokovic are in. And like, yeah, there's going to be some excitement for that. Um, but, you know, we could make it special and, and have it in Orlando or we could make it special and have it everywhere. But I just think the idea, um, as long as we're creating a great experience for the guys, I think is is good. And I'm glad they're looking at it. They're re-looking at what is college tennis because 
you know, maybe they come back and say, what we have is great. And we just keep going with that. But I do like it when you reevaluate things and, and start looking at it. I'd hate to make a change just for the sake of a change. I hopefully they give it enough thought. Um, but yeah, I don't mind them, them looking into it and, and even having cool new ideas like that. I think it'd well, be great. Remember you said that later on in this podcast. Um, with okay, all, okay. Yeah, with that said, I do yeah. want to talk again about some of the guys. And in particular, yeah. I want to talk about, you know, uh, Victor, who last season, it, it was tough for him, no doubt, sure. at the number one singles position. He goes, you know, I don't think he got a win at number one, two and two at the number three position. That said, one thing you cannot fake is experience. And so I'm curious for, you know, him this offseason, how have those experienced, you know, help shape him, help him take that next jump here this fall to where, you know, again, he can start competing at the top? Yeah, well, it'll be interesting. So I think that you use Victor as a good example. So Victor mm-hmm. had been the most sort of consistent um, level player for us for a while, for, for several mm-hmm. years. And so... He actually, the year before, had had some decent wins over some good players, beat Oklahoma's number one, and beat him, beat him pretty convincingly. And so it kind of showed, okay, Victor is is capable of playing at that level. Well, you know, the summer, he doesn't get to play that much because of COVID. And so the fall, he doesn't get any competition and doesn't go out on his own to get that competition. And so he starts behind the eight ball a little bit. And as soon as you lose a little confidence in, in that area, um, you end up, it started to snowball for him. And so unfortunately, it, it hurt his confidence um, in that way. He wasn't far off, though, I'll tell you. There were some matches where he was serving for sets, serving for matches, you know, having opportunities to be up a break and, and just wasn't able to close it out. Um, but him coming back this year, I mean, and, and being able to play the, this, the fall, and I think going in the spring, who knows where Victor is going to end up. I definitely think he's going to be into the top six. But man, we've got a lot of guys that have pushed to, to kind of jump above him, but that only means that Nebraska tennis is a lot stronger um, because I think Victor's in a really good spot to compete no matter where we put him. He's pretty hungry. Um, he's going to be a big part of our, our team. Um, if you notice, he ended up doing well in doubles and made it to the fall nationals in doubles, mm-hmm. um, going out to San Diego, so another great experience for him. But, um, yeah, I mean, Victor's... Victor's been really consistent for us, and I think that he's going to have a big role this year for us. Mm-hmm. Any other guys, and I'm sure the answer is all of them, but who, st- who are the guys we should be on watch for here as college tennis fans? Yeah, I mean, I always, I always love the, the homegrown feel-good story of Will Gleason, who's from Lincoln, mm-hmm. Nebraska, and he's really made some strides. He had a good regional tournament, beat a good player, lost in the quarters, I believe it was, and lost in three sets to... Mason um, Byler and mm-hmm. who's who's obviously had a good fall and, and went to the fall nationals and did well also. Um, so yeah, I think Will has made some strides in that regard, but we've got a couple freshmen that have that have come in and have established themselves. Um, Ronnie um, Heitrantas from Finland who ended up doing quite well in the Big Ten um, singles tournament. It was just last week, so he's making some strides. Um, and we've got a, a a guy who transferred. Um, from Fresno, Dario Huber, mm-hmm. who's who's done quite well. He was at the doubles fall nationals with Victor. Um, so we've got a lot of guys that are kind of, you know, ready to prove themselves. Um, I've got a couple, Nick Wiedenhorn, who's a guy who played six mostly last year, but he was really, he had a back injury last year that he was just being a trooper to be able to go out and play <laughs> for us. Um, he's He's healthy, we believe now, and he's got a lot of game, um, so 
we've got a good group, a group of guys that I think are really gonna gonna make a difference. Um, you know, come come the spring. Does it help your guys to have the Ohio State, Illinois, Michigans of the world setting that standard at the top of the conference? I mean, do they – I guess because, again, it's easy to say we want to make the NCAA tournament. We want to be competitive within the conference. Do you think your yeah. guys – because you've been on teams, obviously, that have uh, in coach teams that have been very, very successful. Do you think the guys have the buy-in this year? Do they? Are they aware now of what it takes to be at that level? Yeah, I think being aware and then doing it are, are two different things. Sure. You know, being aware of it and, and then actually going and, and putting in the work every day and, and sacrificing the things that you need to sacrifice to be great are two different things. And, and I think that the answer to that is, is to be determined. I, I don't know that um, it has been determined whether we're willing to do that, although the message has been sent and <laughs> a lot of them do a great job when we're in front of them. And I think that's great, but you know the real the real part comes when when the you know when the coach isn't watching or when you're doing it on your own. You know that's mm-hmm. when I think we'll find out. Mm-hmm. And for your team this season, I don't think the full schedule has been released quite yet. But for you guys to you know again, how frustrating was last year just playing conference only? And I, I you know I just again not being able to travel outside at all and get yeah. any looks for your guys elsewhere. Yeah, I mean that's it, that was a difficult part. Is I think we were mm-hmm. we're not having that ability to sort of play a preseason match, and yeah. and while I think the teams that were good were able to cover it up a lot better, and I think we were a team that was was striving to prove ourselves, and and we just we went in the other direction. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I wouldn't say that it was with without fight. I mean, I, I do appreciate. I think the guys were fighting and competing. We just, um, you know, with some sickness and some injuries, it was just we were up against it almost every time. Not that any other teams weren't dealing with those types of things. It just this was our world and what we were dealing with. But, um, yeah, I think the schedule is, I could be wrong, I think it is up online or at least should be soon. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we've got a really, really great schedule, I think, in front of us. Um, Some really good teams, some some teams that are are really – strong going to be in the top five but we also top 10 and then we've got a bunch of teams that i think are going to be ranked in that 30s and 40s so it's going to give us a great mix of of different chances are you excited to travel to baylor you're right i have it in front of me now actually so yeah actually baylor's coming here so oh yeah that's to, have the baylor yeah, Bears. We made, yeah we we went there a few times so um they they were owed us a trip and um i have a good relationship with mike and mm-hmm. and also um with with brian um previously so we we would always love to go there and play their teams because they set such a good standard so we're excited to have them here in lincoln and i think it's great to play a one of the better teams in the country right away because it just sort of gives you that hey this is where they're at this is where we where we can improve and this is how we can expect to to compete if we want to be you know making our goals yeah and I'm not saying, you know, I have the schedule in front of me now. I'm not saying this is why you did it, but something we see in part of it's 25 competition days, but you see a lot of double headers. And of course, uh, you know, there's a legendary Arkansas performance or Alabama or wherever it was where they were chasing the 500 rule at yeah. the end of the season. And for those listeners that are unfamiliar with 500 rule, you have to be 500 or better to make the NCAA tournament. Now, obviously, last season was stupid because there was, non, there was conference rules in play and so they waived the 500 rule and it made complete sense. Moving forward though, is that a rule you'd like to see just stay away? Are you, you know, you talk about playing the best to see the best. 
obviously you get a lot of good competition in the Big Ten, and you have the opportunity to schedule Baylor's, Oklahoma's yeah. of the world. Where are you with the 500 rule? Yeah, I think they should definitely get rid of it. I don't, I don't see the benefit to it. Um, I think it's caused too many other issues that have come up that they've had to make another rule because of, you know, you can't play X amount of teams in the same day. And it just seems like gets to be a little bit ridiculous. Um, so I think if we eliminate that, it just creates an atmosphere now where everyone is trying to play good teams and teams that they feel like they can help their team improve. And if I feel like the best thing is to play these, these solid great teams, ranked teams, then that's what we should be able to do. And if my team is of the rank to get in the NCAA tournament, then we should, you know. Um, but if we're not, then then I don't think if we are and the 500 rule keeps us out, I just don't know that that's getting the best teams in the field. I agree. I think that was made for like a bowl reason too. Like they did that for the <laughs> yeah. football, and so it's one of those trickle down rules that somehow we absorb because of bowl games and and yeah. Such. It makes sense that that checks out. You know, yeah. that, that that's how the rule gets introduced. But I agree. If you're the best, you know, you should be allowed in. And it's not like you're you're going at Cornell. You're going at UCF. You shouldn't be penalized for playing a, a bold schedule. I agree with you. And so, if the 500 rule stays away, I think that's something that would work for a bunch of us. Now, something else I want I've wanted to ask all the coaches because again, for a lot of our listeners, they just haven't had the chance to hear your voice. They haven't had the chance to learn about all. Of these programs so what i'm asking everyone coach and for the record you've already pitched me you started well yeah. in advance and i imagine that's part of the strategy so yeah. you know i'm a i'm a husker at heart um but <laughs> give me the pitch why why should i come to nebraska you know again i we've talked about it you guys are a program clearly building towards something what is that something why should i be a part of it yeah i mean i think obviously number one is we're we don't we have a fan base like no other i mean there's mm-hmm. a support for nebraska this town supports the the home team better than than almost any in the country, mm-hmm. um, and and that comes from someone who's been in Ann Arbor for for quite a long time. So the fan base here is is exceptional. Um, the resources and the athletic department is more supportive than anywhere I've ever been. Um, so the student athlete is going to get every and anything that they need to be successful. Um, the biggest thing is just getting guys to come and and play for a team that you know and we're selling something we're not we're not showing something that we've done so it's it's getting them to buy into something that they can see in in something in the future and they can be part of that um development so you're going to get the certain certain guy who's excited about that and then you're also going to get some of the guys who say no i want to go to a team that's already top 10 or i want to go to a team that's already you know, ranked a certain amount. And that's fine too. I understand that. And that kind of makes sometimes our job a little bit tougher, but there is, you're going to come here and, and be treated as well, if, if not better than anywhere else you're going to go. So your experience, your college tennis experience here is going to be incredible. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And you know, you talk about Lincoln being a college town, right? There are no other pro sports in Nebraska. You've got the yep. Huskers and that's the brand. I'm curious how you think, you know, from a recruiting standpoint and more broadly, I suppose, as well, NIL plays a role moving forward because when I look at the broader landscape, I look at the college-centric towns, the, mm. you know, Lincolns of the world, the Fayettevilles of the world, the Lubbocks of the world, where that's it. Like, you have the university. Yeah. That's what you're supporting. Um, does Do you think NIL plays a role in recruiting moving forward? And where are you right now with all of the regulations and rules? Well, it's tough because I'm really just been – the ones getting educated on, on what, sure, we, yeah. you know, what's allowed and what not allowed. And so 
and what I'm realizing is we're we have to be pretty removed from from the situation and so but I do think that we are given like you said the stereotypical place that would be uh, crazy enough to start doing that for for a men's tennis player would probably be a place like Lincoln, Nebraska. You know, so, exactly. Yeah, no, I think that that's it. But you know, I think unfortunately the restrictions of doing it for only American guys mm-hmm. um, definitely hurts because I think part of our um, recruiting has been mostly international. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, before we do it for the first American guy, then you know, it it's hard to talk about it because it's not not like we can promote something like that you know? yeah but you're telling me that international players are able to give the money to charities not a major win like what are we doing here i agree with you it's like come on like well yeah this is i mean an easy the, one. don't don't get me started the whole nil <laughs> it just seems like a ridiculous um solution that the nca came up with to try and maintain some sort of you know status relevancy. quo sure yeah. yeah and and so i mean really what we're trying to you know do is pay the the players so I think we just, you got to get out and just do that. Like, I don't think you create another reason for, you know, a student athlete to have to do something else to make money. Like, look, you're playing your sport, you're doing your school. Like they need to be great at those two things. They don't also have to be great at making beef jerky, you know, which is what, which is what some of these guys are doing. You know, they're going out and they have their own clothing line or their own beef jerky. And it just seems like, is that what we want to take their time and have them doing? Mm Mm-hmm. No, it, that's not what it is. So no, I think that we've just got to, they've got to relook at this. And I think they are. I just, I don't know how long, it, you know, and when that's going to No, I agree. It's like brand management. It's like, but they're building a brand. It's like, no, they're, they're a human. It's like, yeah, I agree. They're not a brand. They're just a student athlete. And so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a lot of bullshit. So I'll swear yes. for you. Yeah, it's there just you a lot. Yeah, it's, can, just, yeah. it's just ridiculous. And so I, I agree with you there. I am curious on the recruiting note as well, though. And obviously right now there is a plethora of talent and five high school graduating classes within college because of the extra year extended mm-hmm. to COVID. And maybe you can tell how fluid I am with this rant, how many times I've prepared this question now. But my question to you is how you balance the two things of – you know there are a lot the transfer portal right now is a hot you know it's the hot thing in college tennis and it's probably a net benefit long term that transferring has been destigmatized that it's no longer oh a pox on the player a pox on the program a pox on the on the coach anytime you know a transfer happens that said how do you balance the idea of well you know again you're trying to build something at nebraska yeah. and building something takes time how do you balance you know going and recruiting freshmen who buy into that message versus filling the gap in the here and now with the one-year transfer yeah i mean it's a tough the one-year transfer deal um i think for us although we do have we have a guy on our team that did transfer from he's from fresno state but they Mm -hmm. they had cut their program and so he he needed a spot to land and and so we we ended up being that spot and actually subsequently because we had struck out at a couple fifth-year transfer guys um and I think, I think it's a wise move for a team if you're in position like, you know, Baylor did it last year, mm-hmm. and they made a great move, and and I think it was super wise. And Florida's been able to do it um, with with Seymour, who obviously we both know um, well, and and I think it's smart in those cases. In my case, I'm not getting a lot of those types of guys. You know, sure. those guys aren't. If you told me, yeah, you can take Seymour, or you could take, you know, someone, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. For that fifth year, of course, we take it. But in your case, you're right. Like, I think we're a little bit more developing, trying mm-hmm. to develop the guys. 
Um, if I feel like they're going to help our program and I think it'll make a, a difference, then yeah, we're going to consider it. But I don't know that too many of the of that quality are do are doing that in our situation right now. Mm -hmm. So I look at it, I'm aware of it, I entertain it because I do my due, no, I do my due yeah. diligence. I reach out to all of them, but sure. I also realize what a lot of them are trying to do is maybe be the piece that wins someone a national championship, or maybe yeah. they're the piece that wins them a conference championship. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's what it is. Every coach is deciding to do what they, they want and what they think is best for their team. I mean, Ohio State has added a couple guys and I think it's been extremely wise. I mean, they got unbelievable, unbelievably better in doubles and they've gotten a lot more experience in the singles lineup. And it was, it was very smart on their part. So I think he realized, hey, this is the route I wanna go. So who are we to say that that doesn't work for them? I don't know that I was getting a chance to get you sure. know those guys. So. No, probably not going to work for us. You know I'm on the market. Say the word. <laughs> I'm there. You need a, an eight singles and a really good manager. Uh, I'm, I'm here hey, for you. I got an office for you, too. You can set up that <laughs> backdrop. You can just do everything out of here. That's all I ask for. Yeah. Me, you, Furman. That's a staff. <laughs> That's a staff. That's a staff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, with all that said, I do want to look more broadly, talk about just some of the conversations happening in college tennis and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, something that I think is so fascinating, and you know, obviously you've seen it at every level of college tennis. I just think the doubles point is the most entertaining forty minutes in all of college and uh, all of tennis. Period, regardless of level, whatever yeah. it may be. A, it's only three matches, and so it's a little bit easier to follow. It's all happening in front of you. B, it's just again every point seems to matter. And while I'm sure that's Russian roulette for you guys in the coaching circles, it's very very fun for us fans. Now the problem is after that. You know, again, there's there's this 40-minute – uh, 40-minute. There's – well, yeah, it's sometimes 30 to 40. You get sure. 10 minutes off, and the smart coaches give pizza in that time, which fills the gap for a little bit. But it's like, you know, nothing matters till 4-all in the first sure. set. And so sure. let's get funky here. I've got You're some right. rule changes Do for it. you. It, simultaneous start. So – and this would be seven-man rosters, but you go two doubles flights, three singles flights, everything worth one everything starts at the same time so that way when doubles ends you have all this excitement and you're amped up and you can turn to the end of a single set or we've already started set two over there would you be in favor of that or are you good with how things are so give me give me the rundown so you're telling me how do you, how are we keeping track of points so everything's worth one Okay. So two doubles flights, three singles flights. So it's just for, so seven guys total. Now yeah. I have some substitution caveats that we'll get to. I wasn't ready to throw that at you right away, but just yeah, that way, yeah. A, yeah, exactly. But that way, a matches are now under three hours because that singles match, no ad scoring, is not going. You know, if it's yeah. three hours, you want to be there for that ending. Um, but it's just again, it, it keeps the momentum going. I feel like that break is what kills us. Yeah, I'm with it. I'm with it. I don't know why. Well, the only thing I'd say is I try and get a little more creative since all these facilities are, are normally six courts. Like mm -hmm. try and try and find six court, six matches you can put out there, whether it's, you know, another singles or, or another doubles. And then you make one way a little bit more than the other. or You find a funky tie. But since we're getting crazy, let's yeah, find I'm a funky, funky tie break scenario. But I do like one the point idea. between the coaches tiebreaker yeah. winner take all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever, whatever favors. You're you're really leaning on that one. Uh, <laughs> I just want to see point. like t 
Tucker Woodruff. Like, oh my God, one point. I'm I'm recording, and like you know how intense both will get, and so it would just be delightful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we better have Playside on for that. Yeah. One. <laughs> exactly. But no, it's just like again, it's the idea of being creative. I also think because you don't want to typecast, you're a singles player, you're a doubles player, right? And so what I would do is. You incorporate substitutions like we do in club tennis. All right, as soon as you're done with the doubles point, you are now eligible to play singles. And it's like if the guy's not getting it done, we're subbing you in. And it's like we're subbing you in. And just that way everyone does stay involved and invested in the match. And, I like it. Yeah. And, yeah. Interesting. Would you – would you do it at any time in the match or there has to be at a set break or what are we what are we looking at well that's the interesting thing and the iowa women's coaches suggested incorporating a timeout every coach gets one timeout which by the way on its own have you ever thought to yourself you're down five two on three courts it's five four on three other courts where you're like i would just like to call a timeout and just get my guys in a huddle for two minutes and just talk to them and let's go back out there i don't think it's the worst idea yeah i mean but you know i i think it's not a bad idea although you're talking about shortening the, the format. I think we just added. You just <laughs> What's added the sacrifice? Two minutes. Yeah, it's the you sacrifice. Just added two minutes to it. No, no, I I like it. I like the idea. Yeah, it's just you know thinking outside the box. It's just it's, it's fascinating to me because again all of these different things. It's uh, how do you capture? How do you make college tennis the best product? Because we were watching the match together, Pashkaleva versus Lulu Sun yesterday. That's as good as it gets, right? And it's just that happens every weekend. And so, to me, it's just the issue of how do you get fans to pay attention every weekend? And I know making the product shorter has been an alternative for TV and just getting mm-hmm. people bought in. But, I don't know, that's the – I just feel like, again, you introduce some funk, some lineup shifts, some substitutions. It keeps people invested because it keeps them on their toes. I think it does. And I think, you know, if you're you're creating a lot more potentially – you know roster spots if you're if you're exactly. adding more of those because you you can't just go with the same six it, you know hypothetically some teams could just go with the same six and in this scenario they they're going to have to use um mm-hmm. more at least players seven. yeah yeah at least and you're starting to create okay what does that mean as far as double specialist and who gets put mm-hmm. on those teams and and different opportunities and i think you know college tennis has created some of the best doubles players ever in the world you know obviously the Bryan brothers help that but I mean if you look at what college tennis has done for for pro doubles I think it would only strengthen that because you're going to get more and more guys that are just better at doubles and that's what they own and they become more specialized in it Mm -hmm. if we're getting really funky lawless lineups so away team submits beforehand home team gets to match up however they want and that's just look every home crowd we can beat you no matter what like anything can happen well, I almost – I would say do it the opposite. Ooh. So the, the home team – because they already have the advantage. Sure. Anyone that plays at home has a huge advantage of, mm-hmm. of playing on their own courts and their own – so now let's let's see what happens when, when you get, you know, a different matchup or a funky different scenario. I mean, but, but I, my, my thing is it's like – isn't every Nebraska home match inherently interesting if it's like I know I can scheme us to – three points here it's like now it's the problem is some matches become blowouts and it's like you know four of the six singles matches are irrelevant um right. but at the same time yeah. it's also like isn't it if if it's about development to the pros don't you want your number six guy playing ones across the, you know don't you want your carter lins playing your mikhail torp guards just so carter gets a look at torp and it's just like that's better for everyone's development yeah, I think – I mean, I think in, in that scenario, you're going to get that no matter what. It's just whether sure. – which team is getting the, the look at the, the 
the mm-hmm. roster first. You know. Yeah, and with that in mind, the depth in college tennis. You know, you obviously former North Florida standout. We'll get there. Um, <laughs> but uh, what what have you thought about the the depth? It is two thousand twenty? Is it harder to be good in twenty twenty two than it was in two thousand three? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the depth has, I, I don't, I wonder about the top end of it, but mm-hmm. I definitely think the the depth is there. I mean, even just looking on our team who hasn't had a ton of success, I mean, but we've got, I've got some guys that are, you know, sevens, eights, the nines that, I mean, they all can play and they've mm-hmm. all been, been at a level that, you know, has, has done well um, at some point in their career. And so I would say that that hasn't always been, been the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the depth is there. I think the coaches are working a lot harder um, to improve everyone, to recruit everyone. So all of that is leading to better, better product as far as the level of tennis. How? Sure. What about college as a pathway to the pros? I think there's 11 guys with college ties right now in the top 100. Certainly the metrics and uh, in singles, by the way, and in doubles, many, many more. College again has college proven more, less, or the same? Just a viable pathway to the pros. Well, I think, I think time is is your pathway to sure. to the pros. So I, I think there are times where some guys, you know, in earlier in the the nineties or so, the eighties, there were younger guys that were ready to go and play on the on the tour, and now not as much. So if you keep those guys around in playing more competitively. Um, then they're going to have more of a shot to, to play on the pros. So I think it's a great place for guys to go and continue to get better. If they have the ability to keep playing futures and challengers and get wild cards, then, then maybe that's the route for them too. But they don't, there's only a, a certain amount of spots for those. Um, so I think in college tennis, you've got guys that can come and, and maybe come in and be playing four or five for their team, but leave as number one. And, and now they're Dominic Cooper, who's, who's doing so well on the tour like you know what i mean there's so many opportunities for for those types of guys and so whether you say it's a it's a viable option it's not the option for everyone but it is absolutely an option mm-hmm. and no and i'm curious for you and again i know you went right into coaching but you know coming out of college and for those that don't know four-year letter winner two-time captain and of course you know again helped lead your north florida team to the ncaa championship <laughs> 99 2001 uh, how pro, i mean pro aspirations may not have been exactly it for you but just how prepared do you think a lot of those guys are coming out of college now is it just, is it the physical is it the mental what is it about it that uh, it, it, you know, you say time wins out. I think that's a fascinating way of putting it. What is it about that time that college provides? Well, I think mostly it's going to be, I mean, first it's a mental thing. I think mm-hmm. mentally it allows them to be able to be more mature and to be able to handle what the pro tour is going to throw that their way. Sure. And then, of course, physical. I, I know that maybe it's John Isner who said that he wasn't ready to play. And I think from his standpoint, it was more physically. He wasn't able to play a full year on the tour physically and maybe mentally i don't really know that per se but i think so those are the two things that are going to help you um they will get better i mean everyone is going to get better four years of college tennis playing in the big 10 like you're just going to get better at tennis um now are you going to be ready to play pros i I think there's only a select few that are are able to do that because it's a challenging profession Mm -hmm. as is um being a pro basketball player being a pro 
football player, like all those things are really challenging. You're trying to be the best in the world. So it, there isn't a clear cut path like, oh, you go to college, you will make it or you won't. I mean, you still have to commit every day and you have to be try and get better and improve mentally, physically are the top two. And then, and then obviously you see where you're at and whether you're able to take on the tour because the tour is another whole different animal in itself. Some guys can't handle the traveling. Some guys can't handle the scheduling on their own. Some guys can't handle being alone, you know, and, and being away in different countries all the time. Like those are tough things to deal with, much less hitting a tennis ball against someone who's really good across the side of the net. So there's a lot that goes into it for sure. Now, how much do you think of your mindset is just the fact that you were with Michael Russell right away coming out of college. And I feel like Michael, because yeah. you know the stories, and by the way, shout out Country Day. He's one of us. <laughs> um, but, um, I, you know, again, by the way, the idea of seeing you two in the workout room, like <laughs> clear the gym, three hours, these guys are about to go at it, slamming weights. I just feel like, because again, he was, yeah, you hear all of the stories, all of the anecdotes. He's 100 push-ups on the changeover Michael Russell. Like that's what you hear about him. You saw it firsthand. Is that is that you know how big of an influence is that in how you coach now? Yeah, I was. I always say I was pretty young and stupid, and so was he to, sure. to even ask <laughs> that I that I have some sort of aid in his development. Because I wouldn't say that I was per se a coach at that time. You know, I was I was always like most of these guys. I wanted to play, and I I was playing at a level that okay, I could go and play a few futures and try to qualify. But man, it was it was tough out there. And I I had known Mike for years and. And he was nice enough to say, hey, why don't you just travel with me and help me? And and so it, I don't know that you could call it a coach, but I was definitely learning, right? Mm-hmm. I was learning a lot. And, and we were able to talk about different things to help um, both of us in that scenario. But from the workout standpoint, we always laugh about it every time. We were not – it wasn't a good mix because <laughs> it was who could do more and, and who would be crazier or who could come up with some something more stupid. So – how does that influence me now? I think we would both say we're a lot smarter from <laughs> that experience um, because we know that, hey, maybe I don't need to do, you know, the extra. The seventh you know, mile. Yeah, exactly. Was maybe enough. I don't have to do all those things. Um, that, But I, I always take, though, Mike was this type of guy who had to have that mindset that he was outworking his guy. And no matter who he was playing against, he had to be, he had to know that he had worked harder and put in more miles than the other guy. That was part of his persona at that time. And he matured and got older and realized that, hey, maybe some of that time can be spent in the rehab or the the massage therapy or the stretching, but he kept putting in the work. Um, So he was one of those guys who tried to outwork everyone. And, And so, and I'm cut from that similar cloth. So it was just a crazy, yeah, we were, we were doing a lot of, a lot. Who would win the workouts? You could be honest now. Oh, it's hard to say, like, win a workout. Oh, but, don't, I mean, is it, though? Is it? I mean, there were times where he would break me, and I'm sure there <laughs> were times where, where I would break him. But that was that was the beauty of it. If it involved mm-hmm. tennis, it didn't matter. He was able to, to dominate. <laughs> but, um, no, we had a, I had a great experience. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. most things. you learn. I learned so much from being around him. There were a couple other guys in that area – um, Brian Godfrey, Todd Martin, um, Mal Washington, all these guys mm-hmm. um, I learned from. They were in that area when I was in college. So a lot of value from from being around those guys. Um, yeah, it's been amazing. 
So is that how you ultimately end up at Michigan? I know you went to Claremont and you went to Fresno State. I want to ask you just about the Fresno State program in general, but what's the tie for you? Like Again, you go there the first time, you end up coming back as well, uh, which I'm eternally grateful for. Well, is that the tie to Michigan? Because I know Michael's obviously a Southeast Michigan guy. No, well, you know what? So the tie was, so as soon as I left, I stopped working with Mike after a few years. He had had a few knee surgeries and mm-hmm. it probably was just time for me to find something a little more stable. Sure. Um, even though I love that that time of my life and I love um, working with him and, and we still stay in touch quite a bit. But once I decided I wanted to get into college tennis, Todd Martin, who's been a great mm-hmm. friend and mentor, um, even to this day, you know, we talk constantly, but he said, hey, college tennis, why don't you go to Northwestern? So I was a volunteer at Northwestern for a year. Sure. And so he basically called Paul Torricelli and said, hey, you, you've got to just take Sean. And, and Paul had no no choice in the matter. When Todd, <laughs> Martin, when Todd Martin calls and tells you you got to do something, you do yeah. it um, if you're at Northwestern. So I was lucky. I went there and learned from him. And the assistant at the time was Arvid Swan, who's mm-hmm. a great friend of mine still. And, and um, so... From there, I ended up getting the Fresno State job. And then, you know, going to Michigan, you know, I leaned a lot on um, obviously Northwestern connection with within the Big Ten. But then um, Mal Washington helped with that one because he mm-hmm. attended, attended Michigan and so was able to get kind of an in there. And, and kind of the rest is sort of, you know, just kind of staying there and, and doing your 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 work and in mm-hmm. Ann Arbor is such a special place as you know I mean mm-hmm. there's not too many places like Ann Arbor in 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 uh, as far as a college town so it's a pretty cool spot and I enjoyed my time there for sure I was ready to do five minutes on Mr. Spots and you know two minutes on <laughs> Savas and we could go through the list and we'll save yeah. it yeah we'll save that for the next one but the reason yeah. I ask is so many people ask constantly and the fact that I get texted about it shows just how difficult the pathway is of becoming a, ca- a college tennis head coach and yeah. you know I, I'm sure obviously I think your work ethic speaks for itself I think anyone who knows you knows that about you you will work for that job is that what it essentially you know to all the assistants out there and all of those different <laughs> people who are looking and the players who are like I would like to get into this someday I know there's no one secret sauce but what would you recommend yeah, I would say whatever it is, is commit to wherever you're at and sure. and just just work your ass off. That's mm-hmm. it. And and I think there's doesn't mean that you can't think about another opportunity, but I think the better you do where you're at will allow you to set yourself up for success. Because if you're spending too much time thinking about you know the next job or the head job, then you're probably not going to be doing that job. And not that um, you know. So I think that that's that's kind of the the one thing I'd say, but just embrace where you're at. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I love my time at Michigan and, and I felt like I was able to grow. And luckily I kind of did two stints. I was able to be with Bruce Burke, um, who, who I was able to learn a lot from and then leave, ended up working with Todd Martin again, you know, when we opened up this training development center, um, and, and then going back and working with Steiny, who's completely opposite, I would say of Bruce, but man, I learned so much from him as well. And so I was never looking to say, okay, if I go back to Michigan, then potentially I could be a head coach somewhere else. Sure. I just was looking to to continue to get back into a, a job that I loved and enjoyed and going back to a place where my wife's from um, and grew up and went to Michigan. So, you know, it's a special place for me. So I went back and, and I had no thoughts of like, ooh, what's next or what's happening? I believed in what signing was doing. And we, we took over, a, I mean, I say we, he was he was the one that took over a team that was struggling 
Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was a lot for us to turn that thing around, but what a fun time it was to do. And, and I'm just so proud to see them continue and do so well. Um, mm-hmm. It's pretty neat to see. With that said, I, again, I'm building to this question. Miles clinches in 2018 to send you guys to the Sweet 16. I almost cried looking at Steiny because it was just it just felt like such an emotional moment. And again, that being a part of that match, that run, that team, which was super super special. Uh, where do you I rank that in your memories all time? But that had to have been a fun experience. I, yeah, I don't need an official ranking, but I I imagine yeah. that's up there for sure. That's way up there. I mean, that's way up there because that team. I mean, with the little bits and pieces of of new guys, but we we were essentially. Uh, a five and 17 team yeah. the, the year that, that I had gotten there and that Steiny had taken over and like to turn that team into and let them have that experience that they're, that they went to NCAAs. And I mean, we played, we went to wake and played UCLA in a tough match, man. I, gosh, I even still think like there was some opportunities there that we just, we, we didn't capitalize on and, and had Cressy some was five indoors in North Carolina. It's like, let's play outside. Like I like our yeah. chance a little better then. Yeah, I do. I do. And, and man, we had some, we had some opportunities. I mean, even miles put it together and won, um, you know, that second set against yeah. uh, Keegan Smith. And, yeah. and there was a moment there in the third set that, that actually it looked like it was going his way and credit to Keegan. Anyway, no one wants to hear about that match. Um, so <laughs> what do you tell, mean? Like, I want to hear about that match. <laughs> you trigger, you trigger something, and I start start getting back into that mode. But it was pretty special, though, for those guys to to experience that. And we had pushed them hard, man. I'm not lying. Mm-hmm. Like we we pushed them hard. Steiny pushed them every day to to play together as a team. I pushed them as hard as I could as far as to to get them physically and and mentally ready. Um, for that stuff. So I think it was it was a lot of sacrifice that we all put into it. And to see them experience that, it was great. Would have loved to it to continue because I thought we had a really good team that year and I thought we could have kept going. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I, feel like, I feel like Leo Hua beats Djokovic but also might lose to me. Like, I, like <laughs> that's, like, again, I, in terms of talent, I was just like, oh, my God. Like, that's... It's, night was great. Every, there have been a lot of great Michigan players, Evan King included. Leo is the one to me who always stood out. I was like, this guy could, just was born to be hitting tennis balls. Yeah, it's funny you say that because, man, I would say his freshman, and he probably <laughs> he would laugh about this, his freshman and sophomore year, I mean, Steiny and I, we were probably ready to, like, send <laughs> yeah. him back. And, and it was it was a lot to teach him not that there wasn't i mean he's a great kid good heart and it's just that it was a lot teaching him how to do what we were trying to do Mm -hmm. you know what steiny wanted him to do and um but to see it happen and like him to become i mean he became an all-american like he has his banner up on that wall like i like that's amazing like that's amazing um for for someone like him so it's the power of it's the power of steiny (laughs) <laughs> and I tell you, he gets those guys and they play together. And, and look, there's crazy things can happen. Like in, mm-hmm. in Runhao Hua becoming an All-American, I mean, that's that's up there. Yeah, no, it was, again, it, was, it made my time very, very fun, certainly. And yeah. yeah, you know, did we motivate you with our 2017 club title? The answer is not no. If we're full <laughs> circle. You knew I was getting there eventually. Of course uh, you did, but, Yeah. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it's all transitive. Technically, I made the Sweet 16. Uh, hey, but I'm giving credit to people. I'll give it to you. Yeah, exactly. What, what are they going to do? Also, Halloween, rearview mirror. Do people just tell you to go as Dominic team? <laughs> it's funny you said team. I get... Um, Misha Zverev. 
No, I get Diego Schwartzman. Whoa, that's that's heightest. Let me just be clear right away. <laughs> that is, you should yeah slap them and, in the face. Well, you know the reason why I say that is because also we were at the U.S. Open one year, and I was getting off the U.S. Open bus, and one there was a guy on the street was like, "Hey, I watched you play yesterday." And I said, "Well, no, no, you didn't." And he was. <laughs> He had had a few drinks in him, I'm sure. Yeah. But he was certain that I was Diego Schwartzman. And I, I, it took a while to convince him that I wasn't. That's but, good. Yeah. Well, first I of all, that. all that says is you're still in shape. Um, but, yeah. no, I yeah. would say if you crossed, this is so specific, the wideness of the Carreno boosted jaw and made that Dominic team, it would be Sean Miami. Like, it's all just right. like, there all it right. is. And by the okay. way, it's a compliment. I, all right. I, I'll I, take I, it. Yeah, I'll take exactly. it. I wish I could do one thing as well as Dominic team can hit. Yeah, me too. Um, But uh, with all that said, last question for you because I've gone over time here. Mm -hmm. Uh, When when fans and the College Tennis Nation watches your team compete this season, what do you want the takeaway to be? Yeah, we've talked about this with our team. You know, we said, hey, what do we want our identity to be? And of course, we can talk about and put a bunch of attributes up and put a bunch of things that that we want to be. But ultimately, it's it's whatever the team that we play um, thinks we are. And mm-hmm. because they're the ones that are experienced or fans that watch you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll say a couple things that I think are important, but it doesn't matter unless, you know, we go out and, and do it. And there are things that I can't imagine any coach would be like, yeah, I don't want my team to be that or no, I don't. <laughs> so, no, I think they're, they're the basic things. I mean, we want to be a team that it's, it takes you, you know, five hours to, if you're going to beat us, it's going to take you all day and it's going to take you every single point, every single shot to win. Um, we want them to feel like they've got to work and for every single point. Um, we're definitely going to be a team that that is is hopefully in doubles. We're going to take it to them and we're going to come after you and and be able to be on you right away because we think we think we have a good good doubles team and we I feel like we have a good opportunity to to do some good things in in that regard. And we we're hoping we can put one through six of guys that that are going to be fighting and competing. There's not going to be one easy match you might be able to win that match but it's going to be a dog fight so that's essentially what we're hoping to strive for um it's also something we've strived for a lot of the years so it's it's not an easy deal um the emotions and the pressures of matches can do a lot to the individuals when they get into those moments and so um we're working we're working hard to try and create that every time we step on the court. Mm-hmm. And you know I'm a believer, uh, obviously. <laughs> I'm uh, certainly expecting, you know, again, another step forward for Nebraska here this I, season. And uh, obviously, I always appreciate the chance to get with chat with you. And for listeners, I don't know how you would know this, but I got the chance to watch the women's final with you and Steiny. And, yeah, again, 17, 18, 19-year-old me was jumping with a glee inside, and I was like, keep it cool. <laughs> I was like, come on, you're a professional now. You've got a, you've got a press credential, but uh, I am for <laughs> Forever grateful for, you know, again, your guys' willingness to embrace me, and thus I have the confidence to do this now. So thank you so much, Coach, for taking the time to chat today, obviously. Well, Alex, look, if I can take a moment, too, and just say, I mean, that's nice words of you, but um, we we in college tennis, I, I'll speak for a lot of the other coaches, we're super thankful for what you're doing for college tennis and how you're really making this, you know, something that's important and exciting for these kids. And, and it's funny, you and a lot of the guys on the team know of you, and they know <laughs> of the work you do. And I think it's amazing. I, I, we appreciate it and ask you to just, you know, anything we can do to help support you and your endeavor and, and what you're doing, um, we're all about it. 
No, I appreciate that. Yeah, the problem is now I can't criticize people. I've gone soft, and I'm 20, like, I'm not old yet, but I've gone soft because it's like, I can't say this, t- you know, oh, I need to see more from them because then I'll get a text from them. And I'm like, no, I I meant it lovingly. You can, I'll tell you right now, you can call us out. You can call me out. <laughs> okay, okay. We're going to have to do a Nebraska segment then because I'm just going to need to channel everything. And I'm going to be like, yeah. uh, rough week. And by the way, man, tough week for Duke, but also Nebraska. And I'm just going <laughs> to lob in all my real thoughts uh, into, yeah, yeah. into there. But again, Coach, thank you so much. And uh, sincerely wishing you guys safety, health, and obviously a ton of success during 2022. Yeah, same to you. Thanks so much, Alex. Of course. Have a good one. You too. Bye.